When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate you call on such lost creatures to defend you? How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very desperate. You might not be glad that you did. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they could become something more. Welcome to Curious Finest, a podcast devoted to discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol and the Marvel Universe. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I am joined, as I am every episode, by my co-host and good friend, Chris Bruffett. How are you doing this week, Chris? Oh my gosh, Jesse, I am so excited for everything. I'm just going to blanket everything coming up in mcp and a little uh, peek behind the magic for you guys we are recording this hours before the minicon extravaganza and we're going to basically do our news recap show here and then next episode you will be getting the mini extravaganza recap so this is going to get you caught up and ready for it keep the hype going so if you didn't get to tune in live you can now be prepared to go check out all those spoilers. Absolutely, Chris. We just thought this would be a great way to put a pin in this past month's news, which was a lot. Honestly, our last news segment was probably one of our most robust, and today's going to be no different. So buckle in. But also, we just thought it was a good stopping point. You know, the following episode of the show, as Chris said, after this will just be all of our impressions of AMG mini stravaganza and just what we're excited about most and kind of card reveals. Hopefully we get a good amount of card reveals, Chris, and we can talk about those as well. So we think posting this right now and then giving a little bit of time for us to think about mini stravaganza and then talk about it with you the following week after the mini extravaganza is going to work out really well. So I think everyone's going to be on a cloud nine for a while. Once again, we're going to be posting all this stuff as it's happening on our social media. So if you don't follow our social media, make sure you do. But you know, Chris, in the spirit of our news episodes, we've got a lot of news to talk about today. And today the focus is specifically the convocation faction. Now that they've been fully fleshed out since we got all their cards, since we know what all the characters do and even the team itself, what they do, we thought this would be a perfect time to jump in, you know, and then mini extravaganza we can talk about all the new content. So I think we just gotta jump right into it, Chris. So we better get going. 
Fury's Finest is sponsored by Discount Games Inc. Go to discountgamesinc.com for all your Marvel Crisis Protocol and miniature gaming needs. Our patrons support Fury's Finest at patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. If you enjoy this show, consider supporting it with a monthly contribution. We take this time to thank all of our patrons for their support. And Chris, we have a new patron this episode of the podcast. Why, yes, Bryn, we do. Jesse, we do. And this week... A very special thank you goes out to Yes, Bryn. Bryn, you're the best. Thank you. And of course, Chris, we could not do this show and this amount of content we've been doing lately because we really have been churning out multiple episodes a week lately. This is all due to our Avenger producers, Zach Attack, Rusty, and Keith. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. All right, Chris, let's get over to the news. All right, Chris, so we normally start off with our affiliation list update. No big update on that today. We think that's coming very, very soon, but we can kind of start seeing who's in what factions, which does make a lot of sense with what we're talking about today. All these characters are Convocation affiliated, and we just got to get right into the Convocation itself. So the Convocation, Chris, is a little bit different. Instead of having a leader with a printed leadership on their card, they are the first affiliation in the game to not have a leadership printed on a character's card. So they have no leader. What does this mean? This basically means they have a card that's off to the side that you attach to a convocation affiliated character. And that is your leader. This is going to open up list building in a way we have not even experienced yet. <laughs> and we will probably continue to make things very complex in the future, but most importantly, Chris, before you can get into this leadership, what do you think about this concept of just having a card that attaches to a character that that's the leadership? Because if you think about the theme of this faction, I was like, oh, surely the Ancient One's going to be the leader, or surely Sorcerer Supreme's going to be the leader. No, they basically just said they're all the leader given the situation that you're choosing, right? And you just attach it to them, and then you get the convocation affiliation. What do you think about that? Well, you know that I'm going to love this because it's game-breaking and opens things up and just makes people think about teams and lists in a different way. And that's something I'm always for. That It's just exciting to be able to shake up your list in such a way to change who your leader is based on what you're going against, what, what you even see across from you on the table. It's very cool. Yeah, I think it's very exciting thematically and obviously strategically. And how could we not be excited about this, Chris? We sung the praises last news episode of the power of Dormammu because every character is affiliated with him. This is not quite to that level, but it's in a similar realm, essentially, where it's like you're choosing your leader and, you know, there's different threat levels of characters. So you kind of can choose where your leader fits as your backbone of your list and kind of work outward from there. It's pretty great. Now, what's also interesting about the convocation leadership it has double sides, and we don't know what the backside is yet. So it's a double leadership. So let's just talk about the part of the convocation we know. The bar with no doors, the moons of Minopore. When an allied character makes a mystic attack against a character without an activated token, it may reroll one of its attack dice. When an allied character without an activated token makes a defense roll, it may reroll one of its defense dice. It's very strong. Like X-Force and Web Warriors, they're not crying, you know, because Web Warriors get a reroll on every defensive attack and X-Force gets yeah. one reroll on any attack type per turn. But this is anytime a character makes a mystic attack, they get a reroll. 
And then anytime a character makes a defense roll, you get a reroll, which is web warriors without the whole skull manipulation. Okay. Pretty cool. Very cool. It's ridiculous. And once again, makes you rethink things. Your activation order is going to play a big part and how well this power works, I should say. Absolutely. And let me read the text on this card that kind of explains how it works, kind of what we touched on a minute ago. Convocation reactive. If this card is included in your roster and your squad is using the convocation affiliation, you may add this to your squad in addition to your normal allotment of team tactic cards. So the way I read this, Chris, is this is a ninth tactic card, but it's giving you that leadership tag on to a character, right? Right. It has more features of it. When you would normally pick an active leadership ability, choose a convocation character to play this card and place it with one of the sides face up in your play area. This is one face up side. We know the character that played this card has the leadership ability showing on its face up side. This leader character may spend one power during the power phase to flip this card to its other side. You can change your affiliation mid game as well. We don't know what the back is. I wonder. I mean, the speculation, what it would make sense that uh, it would be the inverse, right? I would assume. Yeah. So we'll see. It is just super cool. We're talking about versatility with just the ability to attach a leadership onto a character. Well, now not only you have that ability, but you also have a double sided leadership and this side's already good. They are very Swiss army knife faction. And we're going to see a lot of that coming up Mm -hmm. and very high skill cap. But speaking of their cards, Chris, let's move on. These are cards we did not cover last time. These are tactics cards that come with Mordo and the Ancient One, so important to talk about, but more importantly to talk about today, they're all Convocation-affiliated tactics cards. So the first one is called Astral Ring, Convocation Active Tactics Card. At the start of a Convocation character's activation, it may spend two power to play this card. Place a projection token within range three of this character that played the card. When measuring range of this character's attacks or superpowers, measure from the projection token instead this this character does not contest objective tokens normally instead now the projection token contests all objectives as if it were this character while the projection token is in play this character cannot advance or be placed remove the projection token during the next cleanup phase how cool is this extremely cool (laughs) man we're doing some uh, astral you know astral soul projecting craziness going on here that is incredible i hope it's very useful i hope it's very good but i'll try to use it either way i also really like chris on this power it's very much like a wizard jedi sort of thing where it's like your character is meditating doing this and they can't do anything for the rest of the round but you're using the token to perform all your actions from and you're using the token to contest objectives so quite literally the token is you for that round but what's also interesting is by the wording of this, the token is not affected by things like your character normally is affected by, like damage and things like that. But that also makes your character a little bit in trouble, which I find very interesting when they're meditating back there. So just park a Koye next to the channel. That's what it is. Exactly. Exactly. And just send the projection up there and let it do its mm-hmm. work. Man, it's cool. But I think this is good. And once again, this is this is leaning more into what I just said about the convocation, seeming like they have a lot of Swiss Army reactive and active abilities to kind of just change the flow of the battle. And we're going to see that as a theme of today's discussion. Well, let's move on to the next card that's coming in the Mordo and Ancient One pack. 
It is the Bane of Dambala. It is a reactive card. After an attack made by an allied convocation character is resolved, if the attack roll contained one or more wild or hit results, the character may spend one power to play this card. All characters within range two of the casting character gain the root special condition. Yeah, so whoever your target is, Chris, everyone around them, range two is gaining the root because you're shooting this into them. This is super cool. We've always talked about how there's not much root in the game at all, and it's cool that it's kind of starting to sneak in slowly. You know, of course, root is a very powerful superpower. It makes all your enemies' superpowers cost one more, which is a very big deal. I'm very excited to see this. Moving on, Chris, you've got the Orb of Agamotto. It's also a Convocation active card. Any number of Convocation characters not holding the objective token may spend three each to play this card. That's wild. Characters that spent power are now placed within range three of their current location. Well, I know the next Dorada update. Three is very expensive, right? Oh, it is, but my goodness. Yeah, this could win you the game. And that's probably why you take this card. You don't take this as a... (laughs) You either take this as a early play and steal objectives early and get a point lead early, or you take this as a late game play and that's very powerful. And I think this is quite incredible, Chris. This is Avengers Assemble or even, to me, my X-Men on steroids in a way, you know? Those yeah. are very cheap, and those are little little movements on the map, which is very nice and very impactful. But this is just place any number of characters that can spin three, range three. But just keep in mind, listener at home... The bigger the base size for a character, the more effective this is going to be. Dr. Voodoo is going to love this card because he's a medium-sized base. And just placing him range three, medium base, range three, medium base, you've got quite a large amount of the map covered right there. This is crazy, Chris. I really don't even know what to say. You just have to hope that uh, three power is going to be hard to come by for your opponent at your most vulnerable time. Couldn't agree more. So continuing on with our Convocation Tactics card talk, Chris, we have another Tactics card called the Wand of Watum. It's a Convocation active Tactics card. A Convocation character may spend two power during its activation to play this card. Choose one of the following effects. This character may use the Elemental Blast attack listed above once this activation. Or this character may reroll two dice in its defense rolls this round. Or this character may use a superpower that is normally limited once per turn a second time this activation, but you must pay all costs as normal. So I'm looking at you, those big throws in the game mm-hmm. that always say limit once per round, things like that. This gets around that. Now, the attack it gives you, listed on the first option it gave us to use on this card, is a energy attack called Elemental Blast. It's a range three, seven dice attack for zero power cost. It has a wild trigger, Elemental Blast. After this attack is resolved, the target character gains the incinerate, shock, and slow special condition. This card is awesome. How bad is it going to feel for that one roll that gets no wilds? It's going to feel bad. It's going to feel real bad. I hope you have a Baron Mordo or Thanos or something to buff this attack up, just to guarantee it. Yeah, get some dice fixing in there, because that's a whole lot of card to be using on one awesome attack but that's what's cool about this card is how flexible it is this card is prepared for a lot of different situations you can earmark it for one 
but still have it as, emer- you know, pull in case of emergency. You need to re-roll defense dice because Dr. Voodoo took a big hit that shouldn't have happened. You know, it's right. just, it's so flexible and so reactive. I'm absolutely, I love it. Yeah, I'm in awe with these cards, Chris. They're just getting more and more interesting and complex as the game goes on. You know, and also we cannot, we probably can't even visualize and think about the last clause in this card, how powerful it is. A character may use a superpower that is normally limited to once per turn, a second time, this mm-hmm. activation. I mean, that's crazy. There's things in the game like placing characters, right? The teleports of the game. Also, these big throws. There are things that are intentionally limited massively, and this just gets around that in, in a huge way. Like, I love it. It's a big deal. AMG loves breaking the rules, man. Let's move on to the next one. It's going to be the Book of Cagliostro. It is Convocation, of course. It is an active card. Choose a Convocation character. The chosen character and two other characters within range three of the chosen character may spend two power each to play this card. So, again, with the kind of limitless theme, if you meet some requirements. Mm Mm-hmm. Very cool. Remove the activated token from the chosen character. Oh, my. <laughs> During the cleanup phase, you may discard two Team Tactics cards. Mm-mm. If you do, return this card to your available Team Tactics cards. This card may be played again this game. There's so much here, Chris. That is game-breaking, but it is expensive. You're paying for all of it. Dormammu brings someone back to life who died. This is in the realm of that, but different. This is Doctor Strange is going a second time in round two when you were not ready for it. And he's a five threat going three times by round two, right? Is just so impactful. Now, it's hard to set up, right? We got to all be in range with each other and stuff. But range three is not that bad, Chris. And once again, this is kind of following to the theme of kind of what the Defenders had. I'm seeing similar themes with this faction, but a little bit more flexibility because the Defenders are more about attrition. But it seems like, at a glance, the Convocation faction kind of wants most of the battle to be in one place so far. Kind of like the Defenders want. Yeah, I feel like kind of going out wide and, and sending some flankers might be a very viable option against this crew. But this is super cool, man. This is just great. I mean, you can even see this in conjunction with some other weird cards like we saw. Mm-hmm. Like you astral project yourself forward, do a bunch of things. Now you have an activated token. Your cheaper allies come up later in the round, just spin the power and unactivate you, and you do more things. They are capturing the feel of these characters in a big way. Absolutely. So now we're going to move on to one more one last Convocation card. This is going to round up the suite of Convocation cards that have at least been shown to us yes. thus far. This is the Iron Bound, I should say, these are the Iron Bound books of Shumagorath. Once again, Convocation and active, surprise, surprise. A Convocation character may spend two during the power phase to play this card. This round... When an enemy targets an allied character with a physical attack, you may choose to change the attack's type to Mystic. When an allied character is KO'd, after the effect is resolved, you may return this card to your available team tactics cards. This card may be played again this game. I guess that's why it's books. 
and not just a singular book. <laughs> it's true. And they're iron bound. So hopefully they're going to wow stay together. This is great, Chris. We've just now seen two forms of card recursion for this affiliation. Completely new in the game in the sense of we have two. One thing we have so far in the game like this is magnetic refraction with Magneto's Brotherhood. It's the card that gives Magneto's team cover from Magneto, of course, creating a metal storm around them. And he can bring that back at the end of a round. But that was it. Now we have two cards in this team. So, Chris, this is a very complex faction. There's a lot going on here. I think, once again, kind of like Magneto's cover card, this is similar because you're making all enemies switch their physical attacks to mystic attacks. And and the Convocation team is exceptional at defending against mystic. And they are poor against physical attacks. So this is a pretty cool card to have in your suite, Chris, of cards. And you just see, you know, maybe a purely physical team sit across from you. Something like Sam Wilson's Avengers, you know. You see a bunch of those like Sam Wilson's War Machines, Luke Cage's, Iron Fist. A lot of physical beater characters out there in the game. But I mean, I think if you see a big amount of them, this is just a perfect reaction card to pull out. There's no reason not to bring it if it's, like you said, a heavy physical team you're looking at across the board. Of course, this is kind of a tournament scenario that we're imagining. Sure. Or very formal type playing scenario. But it's really cool. And a lot of players thrive in those kind of scenarios. And this is just absolutely targeted at them. Well, and to further that, Chris, I think this is the team tactic affiliation. And I say Mm -hmm. that because you see how many cards this is, and then you add in the affiliated cards with the named characters, like we're about to get into in a moment, like Dr. Voodoo has his own card on top of this. So what I'm saying is you could have an entire suite of eight cards that are all convocation and named characters focused. And then you just kind of do a little mini build draft at the start of every time you play a match with this team you know it's not like other teams where it's kind of like well i kind of always have my three or four standard generic cards and then i have three or four affiliated or named cards this is almost like you're kind of committing fully to affiliated cards maybe a generic card or two and you kind of play a little mini game at the start of a match and Mm -hmm. you kind of build a little deck that's completely different every game Because they've got so many options, depending on the crisis, depending on the enemy team, depending on the makeup of your own team. So I think this faction and Dormammu's Dark Dimension are definitely the two most complex factions in the game right now. Absolutely. That could change one day, but there's so much going on before the match even starts on those teams, right, Chris? Mm Mm-hmm. 100%. Like I said, these teams are really, really aimed... At the people that love to just spend their off time thinking about this game. That's so true. You know, just completely obsessed with different possibilities and different scenarios. Man, I think it's very cool. This whole idea appeals to me very much. Yeah, and you add the whole choosing your leader and flipping Mm -hmm. the leadership card every round if you want to a different leadership. The possibilities are truly endless. And I really do like the theme here, Chris. We've got to address the theme of them bringing out the spell books, pulling out spells that they may haven't used in a long time, but that, you know, for the situation, it's right. And reaching onto these powers that are beyond them and different realms and stuff. There's a lot of theme here. That's so crazy. Like we're not even talking about the characters right now. We're just talking about the suite of cards that all the characters can use. It's all part of this faction identity. And it's cool because 
it's kind of hard to describe this faction until you read every one of these tactics cards and kind of lay them out. Cause that's kind of their faction identity before you even get to the characters. And that's a cool thing too. Cause Chris and I on the show always talk about people always neglect and don't put enough spotlights in the community on the makeup of who's on the list. You know, that really oh, yeah. makes your faction before you even get to the, the leadership or even the tactics cards. What's interesting is with the convocation, we start super wide with the tactics cards and we kind of narrow down as we go, because as you'll see with this team in particular, Chris, they are excellent mystic attackers and they have a weakness to things that aren't typically mystic. And that's kind of their affiliation downfall. And I find that really interesting as well. It's kind of makeup of their team because they're all these awesome mystically empowered mages and stuff. And they are well above average on the mystic field, but other fields, they kind of struggle. And we talked about last news episode with Dr. Voodoo. His defenses are 224, but if he has the Brother Daniel token on them, they they are 446, which is just unbelievable. But I mean, in his natural state without the token, 224, which is still right fine, you know, but it's just it's a built-in mechanic of the faction that we've got to address. In closing out the convocation cards, Chris, we have one more. It's the plane of Poldock, convocation active. Any convocation character may spin 3 to play this card, choose an enemy character. Allied characters may reroll any number of attack dice when making mystic attacks that target the chosen enemy character this round. This is dark rain for Cabal, Chris, but for the mystic team, but arguably a little bit more flexible. I mean, you're just going to delete someone if you're playing this card, hopefully. Well, I think this is a card you really, really think about when you see Hulk, She-Hulk. I mean, maybe even MODOK, you know, just, just a team that has got a lot a lot riding on a big threat character. I think that that's when you you include this card in your in your five. Yeah, reroll any number of attack dice is always huge, Chris. I mean, we we've seen the power of just reroll all with Doctor Strange because that's just amazing because if you just don't get a good roll, you just okay, forget it and just reroll the whole pool again, one go. That's strong. This is even stronger because you get to isolate dice that are not working for you. I love it. That's it for the Convocation Tactics cards and their leadership. We kind of talked about their faction identity, their leadership, and their tactics cards. But now, Chris, we've got to talk about these characters that we have not talked about yet. And starting with Hood, we have another transformation in the game, Chris. It's not Ant-Man. It's Very not Very exciting. You can look up transformation in the rulebook, but essentially, when you transform, you bring out the range one ruler, which of course is the side of the range templates. You put it by your base, and then you put out the new transformed model within range one of where your base is. So we can't dispute that alone, Chris. If you've played Ant-Man and Wasp, you've seen how much they can move around the board just with even their transforms. You know, It really adds up. This is why Midnight Suns is going to be a great affiliation, because that's their affiliation bump in the night ability. But keep that in mind when we talk about transformations with Hood. Now... Hood's interesting, Chris, and I'm really excited to get to his episode in the future, but he has a normal side. He does. And he has a possessed side. He does. Now, what is helpful to us? The health does not change on either of these sides, and neither do the defense stats. So we'll just say that straight up. And that actually is pretty helpful. So to keep this simple, Chris, we're just going to start with Hood in his normal form first, talk about the healthy and injured side and then move on to his possessed form because they are different. So on his normal form, 
and his healthy side. His name is Hood. His alter ego is Parker Robbins. He has a stamina of five, a move of medium, a height of two, and a threat cost of three. His defenses are two physical, two energy, three mystic. Chris, this is our first three threat who has hit below average Mm -hmm. on the stats. I suspect there's a reason for that. Of course, but it's interesting, right? It's already kind of a different thing. And on Hood's normal side, when he's injured, he still has five health and nothing changes. So keep that in mind. We're going to go through his normal side real quick. It'll frame the way he is going forward. But keep in mind that he is just a 10 health three threat, which is very normal. But then his physical and energy defenses are lacking. His first attack is a mystic attack called Hex Shot. It's a ranged three, four dice, zero power cost attack. After this attack is resolved, Hood gains one power. We always love that because it's just auto power gaining. And then it has, Chris, if you get a hit, you get to trigger rapid fire. After this attack is resolved, Hood may make it one additional hex shot attack. The additional attack must target the original target character. And the additional attack does not have the rapid fire special rule. So we've seen this multiple times on characters like Black Widow and Punisher. But what's cool about this, Chris, his is a mystic gunshot. Reminds me of one of my favorite mutants, uh, absolutely, Kid Omega, who also fires psychic guns. Well, there you go. But moving on, Chris, he has a second attack to close out his attacks. It's also another mystic attack called Dark Lightning. It's also range three, so it's kind of nice to keep his ranges all in one profile. It's six strength and a power cost of three. Has a wild trigger called Arc. Very different type of wild trigger. After this attack is resolved, choose a number of enemy characters within range three of the original target character equal to or less than the number of wilds in your attack roll. Then those chosen characters suffer one damage. And then it says after the attack is resolved, the target character, so the original target character, gains the shot condition. Very cool. If you get lucky with wild, yeah. I if you've got dice fixing, why not? You know, it's kind of a it's kind of a shoot for the moon type of play here but i mean every wild in kind of an area of effect is going to equal one auto ping yeah that's awesome it is awesome it's kind of like a little weaker area attack built into his single target spender Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i really like that but i think you're gonna do it when people are clumped up you know it's one of those things oh yeah but also chris we can never understate how powerful shock is because enemy characters rolling less dice on their attacks really hurts. So giving auto shock mm-hmm. when this is resolved is always a good thing. Yes, absolutely. I love special conditions just implicitly. So let's move on to his first normal side superpower. It is an active superpower. It is called Black Arts. It's going to cost three power. Choose another allied character within range three of hood. The chosen character may remove up to three damage tokens. If it does, the chosen character gains the bleed special condition. A character may be affected by this superpower only once per round. Not a bad little heal. Yeah, paying three for three is not terrible. It's a more costly med pack, but it's like one of those things like med pack is a restricted card for a reason, right, Chris? So you've got to be in range three to do it. You know, yeah, if you got to pay three for it, and then they take they gain a bleed. But I, the theme on this is killer, and I really like this. I immediately thought of you know something fun and silly because we did Blade recently, and Blade heals off of your allies' bleeds as well. So I immediately thought mm-hmm. of oh, 
use Hood to heal someone else on Blade's team that needs some healing because they're hurt. Exactly. That's always good. But then on top of that, they're now giving blood to Blade as well, and he's healing more on top of it. So it's kind of like an extra mini heal on the blade if you do all this right. But it is really fun. Closing out his card, he has two more superpowers. The first one is a reactive one called Invisibility Cloak. It costs two power. When Hood is targeted by an attack or would make a dodge roll, you may use the superpower. Hood uses his mystic defense to defend or dodge. During this defense or dodge roll, Hood adds blanks in his roll to total successes. Gives himself martial artist. Seems good. Never bad. Never bad at all. And Chris, you're getting around those extra weak physical and energy defenses. Mm-hmm. It does cost two. You know, it, it makes sense why it costs two, but this is good. I mean, it's one of those things like if you just hex shot every turn, you're going to have power for this, you know? So it's one of those things like maybe save power if he's in normal mode so he can defend. Or do you want to defend? Because. We're going to talk about Hood Possessed here. So moving on, he has one more superpower on his healthy side of his normal side, which of course is all the same on the back on his injured side. It's an innate superpower called Possessed by Nisanti. When this character is damaged by an enemy effect, after the effect is resolved, Hood may transform into Hood Possessed. If this character would be dazed, before being dazed, it transforms into Hood Possessed and then it's dazed. So you could optionally transform into Hood Possessed if you're hurt at all, but if you're dazed, you must transform into Hood Possessed. Well, that's good, because I want to be transformed to Hood Possessed, and I think it's worth talking about. I think it is, Chris. So now we're switching over to Hood's Possessed card. The stats are a stamina of five, a move of medium, a height of two, a threat cost of three, same, and the defenses are two physical, two energy, and three mystic. So nothing's changed on that front. But some other things are about to change pretty dramatically. And let's get right to it. His first attack on his possessed side is Razor Talons. It is a physical attack. It is range two with a strength of six and a power cost of zero. Whoa. After this attack is resolved, the character gains power equal to the damage dealt, so no cap on power gained this time. On a wild, you will trigger bleed, which blade rejoices. After this attack is resolved, if the target character was dazed or KO'd by the attack, this character transforms into hood normal. Kind of the balancing act there, right? Is if you kill absolutely, him, you kind of come to your senses and go back normal. I really like it, Chris. Notice it's his only physical attack on this too. So, if anything, this is actually bringing a good physical attack to the convocation suite. So mm-hmm. it's pretty interesting. But a range two six dice strike is nothing to scoff at on a three threat. It's actually one of the highest strikes in the game, especially for for a three threat. Well. It's pretty, pretty good, <laughs> but I really want to talk about his next attack. It is Empowered Dark Lightning. That's right. I'm getting some Palpatine vibes here. It's it so is true. a mystic attack. It is a range three, strength of eight, power cost of four on this one. So the strength went up two, and the power cost went up one. And on a wild, you will trigger Empowered Arc. After this attack is resolved, choose a number of enemy characters within range three of the target character equal to or less than the number of wilds in the attack roll. 
these chosen characters suffer to damage. That's cool. That's very cool. It's just better of the normal spender. With more chances to hit it. More chances to hit it, and then when they hit, they deal two damage apiece. Mm-hmm. Gosh. We're not done. Yeah. After this attack is resolved, the target character gains the shock special condition. I love that. After this attack is resolved, this character transforms into hood normal. So pick your spot with this one, because once you're done with it, you're transforming. No matter what. Yeah. Once again, we're kind of seeing this theme come through, Chris, this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde theme really coming through on this character. You have to use these attacks at the right times. You know, you've got to use Razor Talons and Empower Dark Lightning when it's absolutely perfect, because it turns out Hood's better on this side. Much. Moving on to his superpowers, he has an active superpower called Charge. Costs two. Action. So Hood takes an action to perform this. Possessed Hood immediately makes a move action followed by an attack action. This superpower can only be used once per turn. So though this Hood has a limited range on his builder attack, that's not a problem with Charge at all. No, it is not. Baron Zemo is still one of the best characters from the early set of the game and just one of the better characters in the game. And it's part of it is because he has charge. It gets around so many hindrances in the game, Chris. But moving on, we have a innate superpower called Demonic Resilience. When Hood Possessed would suffer damage from enemy effect, reduce the amount suffered by two to a minimum of Ooh. one. We have never seen this clause before, Chris. You know, Thanos is the best of this in the game because Thanos is reduce by one, full stop. There's no minimum of one or anything for Thanos. Right. But the rest of the Black Order, very powerful. Lizard and Cage and things like that now. Reducing it by one to a minimum of one. We've learned how powerful that is. How much extra health that gives you. This is reduced by two to a minimum of one. This is why you want him to stay in this mode as long as possible, Chris. Because he's not going to die. Absolutely. And we have one more innate ability here to wrap up the card. And that is Mystic Vulnerability. While defending against a Mystic Attack, Hood Possessed does not add additional dice to its defense role as a result of critical rolls. If this character is damaged by a Mystic Attack, after the attack is resolved, it transforms into Hood Normal. If this character would be dazed by a Mystic Attack, before being dazed, it transforms into Hood Normal. Then it is dazed. So this is going to be kind of a big drawback to this card is if you're against a, a heavy mystic user, you might not be in full control of when you want hood to be normal and when you want hood to be possessed. It's true. And that feels like a major drawback against a high level player. Could be, but, but at the end of the day, this guy is three threat, right? Chris, and here's the dichotomy of the two characters. This is the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde analogy we just made it's hood on his normal side is a little bit underwhelming as far as the three threat goes but he's pretty good against mystic attacks it's true and he puts out pretty good mystic attacks inversely hood on his possessed side probably above average three threat but he has a big weakness to mystic attacks and sometimes his attacks and things that happen to him make him transform out of this mode when he doesn't want to against his own will 
And that's pretty cool. And it kind of reins him in because obviously this would be a four threat character. They didn't have these drawbacks. Yeah. It's here on the card. We can read it. I mean, this is very akin to a a lot of the four threats we love, Chris. Like he has a lot of the features of those four threats. It's very true. Like Wolverine, like Sabretooth, like Venom. He's got a lot of features of those characters where they've got these big swings of things they can do. And they've got some damage reduction and things like that as well. But he's got some drawbacks because he's just a three threat at the end of the day. I love it. I This is a very high level play character. Kind of a theme we're seeing with this, just this whole wave, Chris. When they came out swinging with the gate with Dormammu and it just it hasn't stopped. I'm going to be honest. Very complex. It's extremely, extremely thought-provoking, and it's great. But we have one more thing to talk about with Hood, and that is his unique tactics card that he's going to bring to the game, and that's Hood's Gang. It is unaffiliated, and it is active, so you can use this in whatever affiliation you're playing Hood in. Hood Normal may play this card during his activation. This round, when an allied character is attacking an enemy character, contesting or holding an objective token, the allied character may reroll all of its attack dice. That's awesome. And and not to mention that, it's not just against one target character. This is this is going to span your entire team, the entire board. Yes, this round, right? So very powerful on objectives like the cubes chris where there's a lot of cubes mm-hmm. out on the board or the asgardian hammers right where it's like okay we're just going to target the people with the hammers this round or, or the cubes this is very thematic i you know this is free as well chris it's good yes it's very good once again we're in a amg is putting us in these situations chris where there's so many good generic tactics cards in the game but also there's certain characters you play in this game and it's like well, I'm playing Mr. Sinister. I have to take Cloning Banks, right? I'm playing Venom. I have to take Lethal Protector, right? I'm playing Cage and Iron Fist. I have to take Heroes for Hire. You kind of have to. Like These cards are just so effective at what they do, and they tend to work. You've got to try to find a slot in your eight for one of these if you plan on making these characters a feature of your list. You know, it's like if you're, if you're bringing Venom, it's just a certain, I'm only going to bring Venom out at a certain time, I guess a certain matchup. Maybe don't bring Lethal Protector. But if you're thinking, I'm going to bring Venom half the time or more, you're bringing Lethal Protector. And I think it's the same thing with this Hoods game, Chris. I think this might as well be on Hoods card. This is really cool and really effective. It's very cool. I I really love how effective it, it is against so many different board states as well. Absolutely. And I think with things like Sam Swarm coming, I've been saying it mm-hmm. since we saw Sam revealed, and I think it's my new favorite Avengers to play, and I think it's going to take the meta by storm. Things like the Sam Swarm and Wakanda and stuff, they love to just grab objectives and back off, you know, a little bit. So this is kind of a, a deterrent to that, which is pretty cool. But Chris, before we move on from Hood, and before we move on to our next character, we did get a card reveal with Hood. That affects our one of our characters from our last news episode. That's Dr. Voodoo. We have a card called Seance. It's an unaffiliated Dr. Voodoo active card. So once again, if Dr. Voodoo is in your team, you can play this. While Dr. Voodoo has his brother Daniel token, add two additional dice instead of one to his attack, defense, and dodge rolls when adding dice for each critical result this round. While another character has his brother Daniel token, that character does not add dice to its attack, defense, or dodge rolls when adding dice for critical results this round. So long story short, Chris, 
This is making your crits explode even more, and it's making the enemy's crits hexed. Once again, are they really trying to get us to play? I think AMG wants us to get away from these like generically good tactics cards. Oh, they absolutely and do. They want yeah. us to lean into the theme, and they want us to play these powerful cards for characters. I'm not saying all these cards like Usurp med pack or things like that but some of them might in the future but it is very compelling chris where it's like you're playing dormammu you are taking his bring characters back to life card 100 percent. like there's nowhere where you Absolutely. don't play that i don't care how good the generic cards are and they're trying to guide that the same way for some of these three and four threats and i really like it well it's very cool and this just also opens up some interesting possibilities of Having the Brother Daniel token, firing off some attacks, and then maybe pass it off to someone else entirely. Maybe the big tank that's holding a, holding an objective or something like that. Just, I don't know. It's it's cool. Yeah, Dr. Voodoo was already one of the most complex characters in the game, and just add another feature to him. Why not? <laughs> but Chris, speaking of complex characters. That was going to be my exact lead-in, too. Are you ready for this one? No. Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, Alter Ego Stephen Vincent Strange. Once again, Chris, he is still five threat, but a different five threat entirely. On his healthy side, he has six stamina, a move of medium, a height of two. His defenses are three physical, three energy, and five mystic. And yes, to confirm at home, this Strange is also on a medium-sized base like the original strange so keep that in mind when you think of he's a medium that's good mover. that's good yeah he's he's quite the mover chris to be honest with a medium sized base and a medium move on his injured side he also has a stamina of six giving him a total of six on both sides which gives him a total of 12 so thoughts on this strange well i like that he's 12 health his defenses look good yeah to great <laughs> as far as mystic goes yeah but i mean it's you know, I, I'm loving five threats, so I'm just kind of anxious to get in here. Well, to compare him to the previous Strange, Chris, the previous Strange had six on the f- front and six on the back, so exactly the same. And his defenses were three, four, four. So this Strange has three, three, five. So he's just extra mystically empowered, but his energy is a little bit lacking compared to the previous Strange, which makes sense because honestly, the previous Strange has an awesome energy builder attack. He does. He does. But we don't see that here. No, sir. No. We're going right in with the Baleful Bolts of Balthak. And that's going to be a range three, strength five, power cost zero. So range three, strength five, builder. Okay. After the attack is resolved, this character gains power equal to the damage dealt. And on a wild, you will trigger Pierce, my favorite of the wild triggers. So not as powerful as the previous Strange's builder, which is range four, strength of five, energy attack with an auto push short, right, Chris? If it deals damage. Right. Incredible. Though this one has potentially higher ceiling for damage because of Pierce. Mm-hmm. But you have to be a little bit closer to do it. Range three. There's pros and cons to both, which I really really like that they did this well i also like that they did this and it just makes me question whether i'm going to have two steven stranges in my 10 models (laughs) very very interesting you can't do that actually chris that's a rule so well i can in homebrew so oh i know get out of here and we and we will hard decisions oh yeah for sure 
The next attack is going to be the Deadly Daggers of Davaroth. This is a physical attack, range 5, strength of 6, power cost of (laughs) 1. Before choosing a target, this character chooses whether this attack's type is energy, physical, or mystic. I'm pretty I'm pretty in so far. Mm-hmm. Oh, it looks like there's a little more text here, Jesse. <laughs> if this attack deals damage after this attack is resolved, the target character gains the poison special condition. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's very good. Once again, Chris, we always, we always joke about it. Another character potentially for our condition team, unaffiliated condition team. Absolutely the case, but my my question is, are you ever going to have the extra power to use this? Well, stay tuned to find out. We've got one <laughs> more attack to talk about, and this one is the big mystic spender. This is the Shining Circle of the Seraphim. It is a area two attack. Strength of seven, power cost of six. Allied characters in range of this attack do not suffer damage from this attack. On a wild, you will trigger cleanse. After each attack is resolved, remove one special condition from this character and each allied character within range two of it. Wow. Big swing. And on a wild block, you will trigger salve. After each attack is resolved, remove one damage from this character and each allied character within range two of it. The strange Protoss bubble continues, Chris. Oh my gosh, I love it. I love everything about it. Death ball up around strange, right? And he's going to give absolutely you a heal, which is super cool. Now, what I really find cool about this, Chris, there's, there's a lot to unpack here. A lot. Step one. Allied characters do not suffer damage from this attack. So keep in mind, you know, it doesn't happen often in games, but your allies take one damage if you perform a beam attack or an area attack right. on an enemy and they're in the line of fire as well. They only take one. They don't take the attack or anything like that. Thank goodness. But they do take that one damage because they're kind of in the firing range. This does not happen here. But also, after each attack is resolved, remove one special condition from Strange and each allied character within range two of him. So as long as you get one wild, Chris, you're going to remove as many conditions as there are allies range two of Strange. It's pretty cool. It's a big swing to help you. Yes, it's awesome. Now, my question is here, Jesse, can you use this attack without targeting an enemy character? No, because you have to target enemy character with an attack. Good question, though. Yeah, and the salve, too. You got to think about this. After each attack is resolved, Chris. So this is an Mm A2. Very narrow. If you get three or four enemy characters in this bubble, every time you perform an attack, if you get wild and block, you're going to heal Strange for one and every ally character within range two of him. So this kind of is like the Doctor Strange move, Chris. This is the late game. Like, it's getting really dire. Everybody come in. He puts portals around him, right? And everyone kind of get in and get cleansed and healed. And hopefully he can kill the enemies outside of the bubble. You know? It's kind of shooting out. But we've got to move on because it's Doctor Strange. The first Doctor Strange had six superpowers. This Doctor Strange (laughs) has five. It should not surprise us at all. The first superpower is an active superpower called the Scalpel of Strange. It costs four power. 
very expensive, choose this character or a character within range two of it and place it within range three of its current position. A character can be placed by the superpower only once per turn. Now notice, Chris, I'm going to say this up front because we, we're not used to seeing this. Choose this character or a character. There's a word missing here. It's uh-huh. allied character. That means that this is allies and enemies alike. I'm sorry, Dormammu. I'm sorry, Thanos. You just got in range. I'm happy to spend four to send you far away <laughs> if I can. Well, if you're loaded up with power, you can then send yourself the other way right. because there's no limit on how many times you can use this every turn. As long as it's a character, right? That you have not already moved. 100%. Correct. So if you're pretty fed at the start of a turn, Chris, you could do this and then you could do his builder and you could potentially get power to do it again or another time, like you said. Or play him in Avengers, <laughs> do everything you just said. But more. Yeah, one less, right? And we've got to move on because I think Chris alluded to this earlier. We've got a a lot of innate superpowers to talk about. The first one is an innate superpower called Chosen of the Vashanti. During the power phase, this character gains two additional power on top of the one. So Strange is getting three every turn, Chris. So this Strange, I'm going to say right up front, can't take the Soul Stone. That is a weakness he has, but they kind of just make up for it and they say, well, he's getting extra power anyways. Maybe a slight nod to uh, everyone that doesn't rent Strange without the Soul Stone. (laughs) Probably so. So his next one is, of course, the Eye of Agamotto. This character can modify and re-roll Skull dice results. This character may re-roll all of its attack or defense dice once per attack one of the most fun abilities in the game gives you a lot of consistency if you're not happy with your roll after all dice have been rolled you can basically do one last roll of course you can never explode crits off of this but chris you can explode crits in your first dice roll and not really like it and then you actually get to pick up those crits and re-roll that so strange kind of really messes with the dice math in this game a lot a lot he makes things hard to love that lock down which i really like Closing out his card, he has two more superpowers that are innate. The first one is the Mystic Armor of Strange. When this character is defending against a energy or mystic attack, for each wild in the defense roll, Doctor Strange may change one of the attacker's hit, crits, or wilds into a blank. This character gains one power for each die changed this way. So, Chris, this is reverse pierce on defense dice. He's putting up a, a portal. Nothing's happening ridiculous man that's so cool oh also he put up the portal and you shot your superpower into it and now he just took that as power for himself i love it i absolutely love it it's incredible it's fun yeah and a super high rolly <laughs> you know maybe game saving thing uh, on an eye of agamotto defense roll it's gonna happen for somebody i'm just saying yeah just get a bunch of wilds out of nowhere right and, just, mm-hmm. and of course closing out strangest card we have the innate superpower flight. So he is very fast, Chris, for a medium mover on a medium base. He has flight. N- no issues there. Nothing changes on his injured side. Even the health stays the same, like I said earlier. Six. No attacks change. Thoughts on Strange, Chris? This is a um, a very different Strange from the first Strange. Though similar. It's similar in ways, but yeah, this is uh, an extremely different Strange for an for a different style of team. So... Dr. Strange lovers rejoice. You have two options. You can have two entirely separate bags of 10 
based on which strange you want to use today. Yeah, what's really interesting about this too, Chris, is like if Strange's homes are Defenders and the Midnight Suns in particular, but also he's a good fit into Avengers. But I'm just saying those are like his home teams. It's interesting which Strange fits where and better, you know? Even if they're not affiliated in certain ways, like let's say Sorcerer Supreme is not affiliated with Defenders, but does he fit better in Defenders? Does he not? There's, these are good questions to pose now while we think about this, but... I find this very cool. I find him the Swiss Army toolbox aggro strange. And the first strange is kind of the all-arounder everything strange. More control, too, with that push. Control and support for his team, right? Because the first strange just has superpowers. He pays to give his allies extra dice. He pays to heal his allies. It just happens. This strange is like, I'm doing a massive area attack on the enemies. Then I'm getting some cleanses and heals off of that for my allies, but they're contingent on how the attack roll goes. And his attack rolls are just better than the other strange. So yeah, we've kind of got a control support strange, and we've kind of got a more damage-centric mage strange with some control too but it's a fun juxtaposition to put them by each other for sure and i'm a big fan oh yeah and chris can we talk about this model one more time because i know we talked about it on our trailer reveal of this dark dimension mystic wave but i even like the strange better than the first one him coming out of the dark dimension portal in the sorcerer supreme costume it's just a nice touch oh it's very good and you know it it does really fill out the theme that it is an older, wiser, different Doctor Strange. Yes. I like that too. You know, at a at a different point in his journey, you know. This is this is definitely the Doctor Strange that is, you know, hanging out in the bar with no name. The Doctor Strange that is I mean, it's in the in the name, but of course it's Sorcerer Supreme Strange, and that's you know, that's different from Defender Strange. Very true. And big age gap between them too, as you said, Chris. Yep. So, Chris, closing out our characters today, we're going to do a little simpler character after the other ones, but though very interesting in her own right. We have Clea, alter ego Clea. On her healthy side, she has a stamina of five, a medium move, a height of two, and a threat cost of three. Her defenses are two physical, three energy, four mystic. And on her injured side, she has five stamina, putting her at a total of ten. Thoughts on Clea on just her basic stats? Well, she seems like a very uh, basic kind of convocation-style mystic uh, user here. Those defenses kind of changed up a lot again, right? Yep. But yeah, other than that, pretty run-of-the-mill three-threat. I always love the three-threats that overperform in one area on their defenses. That's pretty neat. Me too. But she's even got more of a drawback because her it's not like 3-3-4 three, three, or something like a Zemo or something. It's 2-3-4, but you know, it's still very respectable. Moving on to her first attack, it's a mystic attack called Demon Claws of Danak. It's a range three, strength four, zero power cost attack. After the attack is resolved, Clea gains one power and has a wild trigger of bleed. After the attack is resolved, the target character gains the bleed special condition. No rapid fire, nothing crazy like that, but you know, it's fine. It's mystic. It's range three. It is range three. Hoods is better. Oh yeah, for sure. Let's now move on to her spender attack. This is the Icy Tendrils of Ichthalon. This attack is very cool. It is it is a uh, mystic as well. It is range four, strength six, power cost of three. But we have three different triggers here. <laughs> on a wild, you will trigger slow. On a wild and a hit, you will trigger stun and also slow. 
Yes. On a wild hit defense and critical, you will trigger stagger, stun, and slow. Very cool. Awesome. Dice fixing, adding extra dice. A lot of things make this way better, Chris. Super cool. This is a gambler's type of attack, man. And speaking of gambling, moving on, we have her superpowers. Her first superpower is an active superpower called Descendant of the Faultine. Costs zero power. Clea takes an action to perform this. Clea gains three power. Roll five dice. For each skull rolled, this character suffers one damage. The superpower can only be used once per turn to get here, but Chris, it almost took us two years to get here, but we got back around to Red Skull's incredible power building gambling mechanic that Red Skull has. We did it. We did it, but he's a four threat. That's what's super cool. He is a four threat. Yes, this is super cool, but you can also potentially injure yourself off one roll. Yep, just like Red Skull. Like I said, man, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. The fact that you can use this at any time, uh, it's, it's... it's really cool. I, I like this a lot. Here's what's cool about this, right? If you look at her kit, it's pretty yeah. obvious, but yeah, she can do this as her first action, and she can icy tendrils as her second action every turn if she wanted to, if she wanted to. Right. And that's an option to her, and I find that very cool. And my mage team is alive and well now, Chris. We can go fully unaffiliated. Yeah, it better be. Just go all control mages, throw crystal in, just get it going. I'm I'm here for it. I am also here for it, though it is your team, and I'm not even going to attempt to play anything that complex at the moment. But let's move on to her next active superpower. It is Ostor's Mighty Hand. It is going to cost, wouldn't you know it, three power. Choose an interactive terrain feature or an enemy character, both of size two or less, and within range three, and throw it short. This superpower can only be used once per turn. So a size two throw for three is pretty good. It's fine. It's not good. It's fine. But it's a throw, right? We've always talked about characters that have throws are better than characters that don't have throws. Now, a size two throw for three is expensive. We had this theme continuing, basically, Chris, because like when Dr. Voodoo has the brother Daniel token, he can throw size three. Once again, it's at a premium price. It's not at that like beast price. It's not at that like Hulk price. So this makes sense for these characters, but I do love it. They have throws. Respect it. It costs power, but they have throws. Right. And in this case, that power is extremely easy, if not risky, to get. Well, she's going to have another cool thing she can spend her power on. It's an active superpower called Vapors of Dormammu. Choose this character or another allied character within range three of Clea and place it within range two of its current position. A character can be placed by the superpower only once per turn. Chris, we've made it. We have Lockjaw, we have Red Skull, we have Clea, we have all these little teleporters that just make the game so hard to calculate how objectives are going to play out. Yep. And as you said, it costs three. So I find this so cool, Chris, that every turn she can wound herself, potentially, or not get wounded at all. Gain three power, so now she's up to four, and she can throw terrain, or she can teleport an ally, or she can do her spender. And then she has one power left over. And it's just one of those things like Swiss Army Knife, like I've been saying. But there's a risk with her because she's pretty fragile. And I find that really cool. It is a big risk. But of course, those characters are always the most fun and the most flavorful. It's always you're winning these games based kind of around the margins. It's the twos and the threes that really eke out these close games. And 
man, she is extremely useful. She's an extremely good tool for a certain job, but don't miscast her. Let's also not forget her and Dormammu's team, where she just gets more power oh, by yeah, default, sure. right? The theme is there. The feel is there. She's doing all these superpowers very often on Dormammu's team. So it's, it's just very cool. And her last superpower is immunity to incinerate, because she's from Dormammu's realm. But Chris, once again, I know these are later builds in AMG's life cycle, but every night, every time someone gets immunity to incinerate, Ghost Rider cries every night. It's true. That man should be immune to incinerate, and I look forward to one day if we get another Ghost Rider and that changes, but time will tell. 100%. Chris, what do you think about Clea? This was one of those curveballs where it's like, she might be the character I'm least excited for in this wave, just feel and thematically. And then I saw her card and I was like, well, Tomas did it again. Like, she's not lighting the world on fire, but she's a really fun three-threat piece. Yeah, man. She is really fun, and she's going to shine in a few teams, and she'll be, you know, a fun risk-reward pick in others. But, you know, it's kind of like I was saying. It's games like this, card games, tabletop games, things like this, it's all the very, very tiny differences that make push everything over the edge. And for some teams, she's that tiny difference. Right. And the most glaring and obvious tiny difference to me is that she's a discount Red Skull. And anywhere Red mm-hmm. Skull fit before, she might fit as well at a discounted price. Not as strong as him, but doing all the superpower things you like to do with Red Skull on a regular basis at a cheaper price. And that's pretty neat. That's opening doors you know it's opening doors entirely so that's it for our characters chris that was quite the amount of characters today but nowhere near as out of control as our last news episode which is very exciting closing out our discussion today Tommy mass did post the pictures and we've been saving this chris like we could have talked about this at the top of our mc episodes but we didn't they posted pictures of kamala khan miss marvel her, her large transform mode and then they showed a new Iron Man sculpt that, what do you know, transforms into the Hulkbuster. I am so excited about these. I want both because even if you don't play them, these are perfect for on my desk or in a display case oh, wow. True. or something. Yeah. Uh, I am I am very happy, very pleased with the Iron Man re-sculpt. Oh, gosh. Uh, I think it's very cool. Looks like a different suit, too, type. Well, yeah, it def- definitely is. I wonder if it's going to have a different kind of character card and the Hulkbuster is going to be an optional transform. We'll see. We will see, hopefully, this weekend. But yeah, Chris, I mean, the Hulkbuster is incredible. They showed him on stream. It's He's as big as Dormammu. It's insane. So he's bigger than Hulk as well. I love him. Could we ask for more? I mean, a lot of people have been asking for the Hulkbuster since day one, so I know they're happy. Well, here it is. And then we get to see... Kamala's like transformation because I know her sculpt was underwhelming to a lot of people because she's just kind of doing the Comic-Con pose of her cosplay, right? But now she's crushing a barricade. She Her fist is getting enlarged, like as we know, and she's punching up and uh, there's a lot of action going on. Base is big. The base size is huge. <laughs> yeah. So all good things, right? Oh, yeah, man. It's it's very exciting stuff. But we had to close on that because it was just a fun little reveal they gave us, you know, and last tease before the con, you know, and which I know we're going to get tons more information on this and we will cover it in the next episode. And that's the exciting thing, Chris. We, we did this episode today to prime you, get you caught up on everything. And then our next episode will just be all the reveals 
at the AMG Mini Stravaganza. And Chris, it's going to be a lot. Busy, man, because they're doing Star Wars reveals too. And they're doing a Star Wars Battle of Kashyyyk play as well, which is very exciting because that's the theme you've chosen for your clone and droid army. It's extremely exciting. Seeing the Battle of Kashyyyk and the Wookiees in action and some of the new droid and clone units in action can be very exciting. But Chris, you and I just talked about off mic and on mic on this show. We're coming up on the two-year anniversary of this game's launch, which was November 2019. So think about it. Surely they're going to give us at least a tease at the very end of the convention. That's going to be that two-year reveal because the one-year reveal was the mutants. And that was a big reveal and very exciting trailer. I'm expecting more of the same, to be 100% honest with you. Uh, if I don't get some kind of trailer and a big reveal, it is very likely not going to tickle my fancy as much as the mutants. Sure. But that's that okay. Because there's, yeah, that was for us. There's some of you out there that just, whatever it is, I definitely have my uh, suspicions. <laughs> but whoever it is, that's going to be that somebody for them. And for those of you out there that, that get to enjoy that or are about to enjoy that or just have, congratulations. Absolutely. And it's just a good time to be a Marvel Crisis Protocol and Marvel fan. We've talked about it. We've said it on the show, Chris, for almost two years now. But truly, truly right now, we're about to start hitting some big peaks, Chris, in this game and in the MCU in general. We've kind of had a lull, not in this game, but in the MCU for some time. And it seems like this game's not slowing down at all. And the MCU is only back on its feet. Shang-Chi is killing it in theaters. Eternals is coming out soon. Venom 2 is coming out soon. And then, of course, Spider-Man Homecoming to close out this year. And then we have an entire year of 2022 that is an absurd amount of superhero movies. An absurd amount. So I imagine the game's going to be neck and neck. Get ready for uh, public opinion to start swinging, folks. <laughs> They're going to be sick of the the superhero movies after 2022. But of course, we will not be, and we will still be here with you every step of the way. You guys heard our last two episodes of the podcast. We had some really scathing and positive things to say about the MCU's current state right now. And Chris, I stand by what I said in this podcast, and I think what you said too. They are taking risks, and I am here for it. They are trying things, and I am here for it. Look at Shang-Chi right now. But also, I think we're going into a new phase of the MCU that is less safe by default because it's more cosmic. It's more time-oriented. It's less A-listers, except Spider-Man, who's always going to bring in the money. And we're going to try new things. And I think that's going to bring people in and keep people with it as well. And I look forward to that in the game of Marvel Crisis Protocol. Well said. Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. Find us on social media. Follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at Fury's Finest and twitch.tv slash Fury's Finest. And lastly, Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast. Email us at Fury's Finest at Gmail with any inquiries or ideas or just things you want to talk about about Marvel. And leave us reviews on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us out. If you can't support the show financially and join the patron discord and join the patron community we have, try to follow our social media pages and give us a five-star review on your podcast platform. Really helps us grow and helps Marvel Crisis Protocol continue to get bigger. And thanks to Approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music. And like Jesse said, this game is about to do some stuff, I feel. I've, I've got that feeling. Yep. So 
be prepared. Well, I stand by my statement, Chris, in our last episodes where it's like, if you have friends and family that might be interested in this game, but they're unsure, but they're fans of the MCU, send our MCU episodes their way, and maybe they'll listen to a Marvel Christ Protocol episode of our show, and then maybe you'll get to do give a demo to one of your dear friends or family members. It's a good thing. Sounds like a good idea to me. Chris, now that COVID's getting slightly better here, it was <laughs> it was very good for a time, and I was ecstatic, and then it got real bad again. But truly, I'm looking at doing some social distance demos in the very new future, and hopefully running a tournament here in Tulsa. Big deals for the community here growth and something i'm really looking forward to you can find us on social media you can find me jesse on twitter instagram and facebook though i only really use it for the marvel christ protocol community and the furious finest page but you can find me at jesse aiken that's j-s-s-e-e-a-k-i-n and i have a star wars show called the canon cantina chris where can everyone find you follow me on twitter at chris bruffett B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T, Thunder Seasons, fixing the gear up. Wrestling's real hot right now. You know, I'm tweeting some stuff. I have no knowledge of wrestling at all, and I know I know the world is on fire for wrestling right now, so it, it's a thing. It's real hot. It's a big deal. Real hot. Hope you guys enjoyed this final episode before all the AMG reveals. Join us next time as we dive deep into the AMG Minicon. Thanks for listening, true believers. Excelsior. has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. Ten bucks says you're wrong. 